This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, welcome to Drinking with Authors podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance, and with me co-hosting today is... Mark Muncy from Erie, Florida. Awesome. And our guest today is Mary Sheriff. Hi, everybody. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking first so people can drink along. I am drinking, again, I've drunk this before, but, well, that sounds terrible. Anyway, Duclaw's Sweet Baby Jesus um, Chocolate Peanut Butter Porter. Ooh. Yeah, it's pretty much like an alcoholic chocolate peanut butter shake. Okay. And, yes. Um, Mark, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, since I am on my epilepsy meds, I am doing the Coffee Shop of Horrors Stranger Brew, which is uh, waffles and syrup, and it is probably one of the most delicious coffees I have ever tasted in my life, and it is exactly what you'd think. That sounds and, good. Uh, it's amazing, yes. Coffee so. Shop of Horrors is amazing. It's a local uh, uh, a coffee shop in Florida that okay. brews all these different ones, and they're all horror-themed, but amazing tasting. Cool. Yep. I wonder if I can get them online. That sounds fun. Yep. Yes, you sure can. can. Okay. And, uh, all or- organic. So. Oh, neat. I might try that. Yes. Yep. I keep yes. plugging them. Eventually, they'll give me free coffee. Mark. They are. Uh, I, I when I meet them at Fanboy this weekend, we're we're gonna we're gonna work on that. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mentioned them so many times. Give me just one bag of coffee. They were talking yeah. like a forty-pound bag for you, so yeah, you know, you'll have coffee good. for years. Make sure it's the syrup and waffle one. Okay, Mary, what are you drinking? I am drinking a glass of red wine. It's from the Noble Vines Collection three three seven, and it's a cab. Ooh, very nice. That sounds fancy. You know, it's not, I, I thought about it. I do have like, we have a wine fridge in my garage and I thought about going down and pulling out a bottle for like, you know, that we've been saving and pretending like I was drinking that just to be cool. <laughs> and I was like, you yeah. totally tell that the cork's not off. <laughs> and I don't drink expensive wine except for special occasions. So this is my like, you know, $10 bottle of, you know, whatever. <laughs> I love it. I drink one of my favorite wines to drink. I've drunk it a lot on this show. I hate it when I sound like an alcoholic at the beginning of the you show. You have a joke called drinking with others. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's my excuse. But, um, functional, it's, functional. Functional. <laughs> social alcoholic. Um, But I drink 19 Crimes. The 19 oh, yeah, I like crimes. that one. Yeah. yeah. I like the banished one. Yes, that is actually my favorite one is the banished That's my favorite one. one. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. And I'm like, this is this like a $10, if you go to Costco, $7 bottle of wine. And it consistently is good. Like, yeah, agreed. Yeah. I had that's a, like, I drank. That's my one. lifetime quest is to find $10 bottles of wine that are like, good. Yeah. I, <laughs> Trader there was Joe's one I found it. at Trader Joe's a while ago, and I can't find it anymore. That was a, a red blend and it was $4.99. It was like the best thing ever when I ever Ooh. went down to Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. But 19 Crimes has been my go-to now. And um, I, I had a bottle of, uh, of this wine I found. It was a Malbec I found at Costco when I was there. It was like King Rabbit or something. And I'm really sorry if you're listening and this is your wine. It was terrible. Oh. Like, terrible. So I hate that when you go and you get a new wine. Like, I'm always like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to get this one and the 19 Crimes. Mm-hmm. Just in case this is garbage. And yeah. Then- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I have a Trader um, Joe's favorite. I don't know what it's called because the way I recognize it, it's in like a paper wrapping, almost like it's got like a bag for a wrapper. It's like $8. It's delicious. I'll have to try it. Yeah, you'll Sorry, recognize it. It's the only bottle I've ever seen that looks like it's wrapped. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to check that out. And the fact that you have a wine fridge anywhere makes you much fancier than me. Cause <laughs> well, that might be true. My husband really likes wine too. So that's like our little splurge thing. What's I scary is I worked at Trader Joe's for a couple of years uh, in a transition between uh, mm -hmm. uh, jobs and I did a lot of wine and I don't remember any of their names. Oh, well. <laughs> I did it every day and I can't remember any of their names. Do you remember the one that's wrapped up in a bag? I do. And I was trying to remember <laughs> it. It's a, it's a, I know it's a Spanish wine, but it's all it I is, remember. It is it a Spanish wine. Spanish yeah. Mm-hmm. Mark, a, you were disappointing me, and I expect you to get better on remembering obtuse wine flavors. I will from do my best. I just remember the chocolate wine was the biggest seller, and when they canceled that, everybody cried. Oh, so. I hate it when they cancel stuff that sells well, and I go, what the hell is wrong with you? With Trader Joe's, it's price. It could They uh, couldn't keep it under the price they wanted to keep it at. So I think people would have paid the price that they could have kept it at if they just... Whatever. Okay, moving on back to being authors and stuff like that. Um, Mary, talk about what you write. So the book that came out in October is um, women's fiction. It's it's southern, so I, I'll call it southern women's fiction. Um, and it's the story. It's a family saga, um, and it's a grand. The main characters are a grandmother and her granddaughter. And I like to think of it as a coming of age story, but both for the granddaughter who's 18 and the grandma who's 80, um, because we both are coming of age. I think you can come of age your whole life. <laughs> I say that all the time. I work in HR and I always tell people, no matter what age you are, you can decide what you want to be when you grow up again. Yeah. And don't you think like when major things happen in our lives, like having a baby or getting married or even moving or a new job. Like you do become a kind of different person. Oh no, absolutely. I think everything in life can change you. It's just whether or not it enhances you or <laughs> removes from the enchantment of that, which everybody used to love. So fair enough. Fair enough. Let's, let's hope we all get better with age. Just like, mine. yes, I think, <laughs> I think the amount of aging and, podcasting i'm doing is making me fabulous <laughs> fabulous <laughs> no arguments here <laughs> oh mark you're so wonderful okay um so is this your first book no talk about your your breath is this your first book this is my first book oh it's not the first one i've written but it's the first one that's published <laughs> i um have a few sitting on the computer um this is an adult book but the other ones i wrote were ya and middle grade okay um, and that I actually have an MFA in writing for children, but, um, this book started off as a YA novel and then grandma decided that she wasn't just going to be along for the ride. And it's really hard to sell an 80 year old woman as a YA <laughs> book. <laughs> I can understand that. Um, yeah. So anyway, it's women's fiction, but, um, you know, I think I, the, the book I'm working on now is going back to my YA roots. So we'll see. That's very, very cool. So when did you start writing? Um, I, well, I guess my whole life I've written. I mean, just in general, I wrote my first novel when I was 23. 
It was terrible. All of our first novels are horrible. There's not a first novel. I don't care what anybody says. If somebody has a first novel that's somehow perfect, it's because they're reincarnated of a writer who wrote perfect novels many <laughs> lifetimes ago. And so they're just carrying forward. That's what I believe. Because, yeah, first novels, perfect bullshit. Bull, I call bullshit. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. I tried a few years later to like rewrite it and make it better. And it, I mean, it was better, but it still wasn't, I don't know, maybe it's salvageable, but I probably won't bother. <laughs> yep. So what was the first one about? That was terrible. First one was about a girl who wanted, well, she was, um, it was in a magical world and she was like part fairy and um she found this guy who was trapped and he wanted her help getting him out so in order to help get him out of this trap she had to collect ingredients from the real world and so she traveled with like a magic bottle <laughs> and picked up ingredients from the salem witch trials um native americans and um hawaiians and like met their magical creatures and and their spirituality and stuff um to then get back to her magic land which was under mount saint helens and um and save this guy who was trapped this actually sounds like a wonderful story yeah. i i think the plot worked i think that's all that worked <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about the bottle, but everything but that part of this story sounds amazing. <laughs> well, I, I kind of felt like when I was writing it, it ought to be like a Disney movie, you know, like it had that kind of feel to it with the, I don't know, but yeah, no, Disney, totally. if you're listening, <laughs> give yeah. me a call. Disney, call, we'll get you connected up. <laughs> well, that's very cool. So then did you go on to write, you said you wrote more um, middle grade young adult. How many more books do you have in your little sneaky book cave um i have three books in my book cave oh wow what are those ones about so they're one i just told you about and then there's another one where um there is a teenage girl whose family died in a terrorist attack mm -hmm. and she was grieving and met a boy who was bad news and basically the two of them became terrorists taking revenge on the people who had killed her family, but not even really the people who killed her family, but like people who were like them. Oh, we Bonnie and Clyde this, but in a very Dexter way, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. So it was, it was, um, heavy. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say that sounds, that sounds quite aggressive. I like it though. Yeah. I like it. Uh, and then the last one was the story of middle schoolers who were running. It's four middle schoolers who are running for school election. And it's told from each of their point of views. And like the same events are repeated, but from a different person's point of view. So you like, you think you know what's going on. And then all of a sudden you hear the same story, but it's from someone else. And it's not at all what you thought it was. And each character sort of adds a layer to like all the events. And at the end, you find out, you know, who wins the election. I love that. I, I love that because I, I'm in the middle of writing a series with a friend of mine, and we're literally each writing one of the characters in the series. I write okay. the female, and he writes the male. 
and they're terrible people. Everybody in this book series is horrible. But what was really interesting is when we first tried to write it, we were trying to combine the chapters a little, little bit. And then we went, wait, we can't do that. And trying to highlight kind of events that happened. Mm -hmm. And instead we realized on book one, we're in the middle of book two, it doesn't work that way. So instead we have to like put little notes. But when we ended up writing it, it took just minor tweaks but it was from his male character's perspective and my female character's perspective. And it was really cool because totally wildly different perspectives on what happened at that point. Mm -hmm. in time. Mm -hmm. You know, they actually meet each other twice in the book, but um, it, it was so weird. And even their interactions, cause it's called 72% match. It's about, you know, online dating works and the matching systems on online dating based on the really stupid questions that they mm -hmm. ask you to pair you up. And it was based on like, there's a whole chapter of him filling out this, you know, like questionnaire and his bullshit answers to everything. And her being like, oh my God, he loves art. Blah. And you're like, <laughs> and it, you, you read how he filled it out the chapter before, right? So I love that concept. I really that's do. Funny. I think that's so fascinating. Yeah, I think that's really neat. I think um, I think one thing that comes through, at least in the the last three books, is I majored in psychology in college, and I think that that comes through in my writing. Like it's a lot about like why people do the things they do <laughs> and what they're thinking. And you know, I tend to think that we're all super flawed, and but we all like are trying. And we're all heroes in our own story. And so I think it's really fun to like investigate that with super flawed characters who make mistakes and then have to deal with them, but have good reasons for what they did, even though they did the wrong thing. No, I think that's great. I think, I, I mean, I was talking to somebody last night and we were talking about the villains. And the fact of the matter is the villain of every story is the hero of their own story. Yes, exactly. You know, exactly. It's ridiculous why they do the things they do, but it's ridiculous because we're looking at it from a completely separate moral compass than they're looking at it from. Right. Right. Okay. So let's talk about this book and getting, so did you, how did you get it published? Um, so it's called Bupanese Road Trip and I got it published um, through She Writes Press. Are you familiar with them at all? I am not, Mark. Nope. Nope. Then let me tell you about them. Explain. Tell us about them. Um, so it started by a woman named Brooke Warner and she was in, um, the publishing world and was getting frustrated because she was having to turn down books that she thought were really good, like really well-written and interesting and all those things, but they weren't very, um, commercially viable, at least from the perspective of the editors at her publishing house. And so she's like rejecting books that she like actually likes and believes in. So she decided to start her own publishing industry, uh, publishing company. And um, to do that, it's it's female run. It All the books are female centric. Um, most of the authors are female, but there are a few males um, in one of their imprints. Um, but she chooses books based on their literary merit rather than their commercial viability. And the way she's able to do that is by putting the financial burden on the authors or the financial oh. risk. So because she's in the industry, had context, 
Anna's vetting manuscripts. She, you know, she, you, oh, you send the thing. She accepts you, doesn't accept you, whatever, whatever. Um, she gets the same distribution as her traditional publisher. Um, but it's a hybrid deal because the authors are actually paying her to publish it. Interesting. Interesting. We will talk after this. I mean, I love that she's doing a female thing. We started a publication company called Four Horsemen Publications. Similar thing. Don't charge our authors. We'll talk separately offline about that. But I think it's great because I think, um, and I, I firmly believe this, is that the publishing industry kind of needs to be turned on its ass because it keeps trying to put things in boxes and you know, it keeps treating, you know, and you can't put kittens in boxes. You put one in a box and then the other five are already out of the box. Like you need yeah. to follow with what's out there. So that's pretty amazing. Um, with, so you've always been writing, but what made you finally decide to go, you know what? I really want to publish a book. So I spent, you know, three books sort of waiting for the industry's golden gates to open up and say, yes, we want you. Um, and it wasn't happening. And this book, I felt like I'd nailed it. You know, like I felt like I had written a book that I really believed in and, um, and I finished it and I got a lot of rejections. Um, and then I ended up going to a retreat and the met with several industry professionals who let you got 20 minutes one-on-one -on -one with like four different agents and you got to tell them your whole spiel and they got to tell you like what they thought and they called it the tough love conference and it, <laughs> it was tough um but basically they told me that i had some massive revision to do that i hadn't you know hadn't nailed it um and i rewrote it and at the end of that it was much much better from for their um their advice and at the end, I was like, this, I really, really believe in this book. It's the book of my heart. I sent it out to a couple of agents, but by then it was like, I was already burned out on the whole experience of querying and all of that. And I was, I just didn't, I didn't want to wait anymore. I mean, I know you're supposed to send it out to like a hundred agents before you give up or whatever, but I, I, and then I had heard about She Writes Press. I ended up talking to a couple of their authors about the experience and I thought, you know what, maybe I just want to make my own path. And I just want to like do it my way and do it now and <laughs> not wait for some stamp of approval. And so I did. <laughs> no, that's, I think that's very cool. Is there a reason um, when you had feelings like this, just asking hashtag no judgment, we drink on the show, we don't judge um, <laughs> that you didn't go self-publishing? There is a, there's a reason. Um, and the biggest reason was I didn't feel like I knew enough about how to publish a book and get it into the market to do it. And I felt like having She Writes Press do it for me and hold my hand and tell me what this means and how to do this, all of that would mean that in the end for my first book, I would have a professional quality book instead of sort of learning the ropes as I self-published. Having said that, I wouldn't, I, I, I would seriously consider self-publishing the next book because um, I've now learned some of those ropes and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, 
so I, you know, I don't know what I'll do next time, but I think for this book and for where I was sitting and what I knew and didn't know and was overwhelmed by, it was maybe, it was the right call for me. No, that totally makes sense. Okay. Um, I had a question. Mark, you have a question? My question? I have a question. So, okay, uh, mine just left. Perspective of uh, an 80-year-old woman and a 18-year-old woman. Uh, yep. Obviously, you can draw some of that from yourself. Uh, but the other half, who did you draw from? You don't think I'm 80? <laughs> I don't think so yet. <laughs> Not yet. No, um, the other half, uh, the grandma is inspired by my own grandma. Um, it wasn't, it isn't her. It's not her story. Exactly. Um, well, the story itself is fiction, but some of her background is similar to my grandmother's. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of fed off my grandma and the kind of person she was and my feelings for her and that relationship and that kind of thing. Very nice. And the road trip, was it inspired by anything in particular? Um, so my grandmother and I, when I was a little kid, used to sit on her balcony. Um, she lived on the Chesapeake Bay in a big condominium and, um, she, her condo didn't face the, ocean, the bay though. It faced a four lane highway <laughs> and on the highway, all these campers used to go by that were heading to a state park and we used to count them. I have no idea why we thought that was entertaining, but we did. And we used to talk about how, when I turned 16, we were going to rent an RV and we were going to travel across the country together and go on a big long road trip. I turned 16 and for many reasons we didn't go. Biggest among them is I was a terrible driver. She was this tiny little four foot 10 woman who couldn't even barely see over a normal steering wheel. <laughs> she sat on a phone book <laughs> just to give you some perspective. Like we had no business driving an RV anywhere. Um, and then by then her arthritis also was not so hot. Um, so sitting in a car for long periods of time was just not in the, in the cards and wouldn't have been fun. Um, so we never went on the road trip. Uh, we did go on some smaller ones, you know, here and there, but this was sort of like my way of going on a road trip that never was with my grandmother who had passed away a few years before I started writing the book. Oh, there's like so many heartstrings on that little story <laughs> right there. Yeah. That is adorable. Oh my gosh. We're going to talk road trips. We have to take a quick break. We will be right back with drinking with authors. This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. We're talking about road trips. Do you like road trips? I like short road trips. I also get sore sitting in cars for long periods of time. Maybe not like my 80-year-old grandma, but, but you know, five hours, get somewhere, be there for a day or two, then go somewhere else. That's cool. But I don't, I don't like the, my husband would be thrilled to like drive for 14 hours and like stop for two seconds and then keep going <laughs> that's not me <laughs> i've done so much road tripping i the last huge one i did i took the kids back uh, uh my i say kids they're now married and having children and stuff but i took them um 
when they graduated high school, we did a road trip all the way up to see their grandparents who were in, were in Florida, they're in Minnesota. And we okay. stopped and saw like the birthplace of Captain Kirk and went to the home of Spider-Man and all these other places. And they had never, I had never taken them quite on a road trip like that, but my mm -hmm. mom used to take me on those kind of road trips all the time. I saw some of the weirdest places in the entire world. <laughs> I think I would really love going to quirky spots. Nobody else in my family has any interest in a quirky road trip. Like, oh. I think it'd be super fun to stop and see that giant ball of twine. Or whatever. We saw the world's largest peanut. See, there are road trips involved with those books right there. Yeah. All my books are weird and unusual places and crazy history behind them. So not yeah. just spooky and monsters but yeah that's that's our, what we do is road trips and uh you know and the stories you get from those are priceless so one, I of, love the, that um, that's what your book is. one of the stops in my book is at a, a ghost town which isn't even really a real ghost town but i did do some research on ghost towns and got fascinated by some of the stories around these towns yep. and why like you know we don't know why everyone just left <laughs> yep. roanoke the entire town disappeared oh yeah yep. yeah and then American Horror Story makes it super duper crazy. Not going to lie. <laughs> um, okay. So what was it like writing? I, we have to talk about this because it's happening still. Um, COVID. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not sure what state you're in. We're in Florida. So COVID's not happening here. Trust me. Just ask anybody. Because. But um, <laughs> we say this with Jess. We have to be humorous about it because we are literally the worst state in the country right now for this. But. What was it like during this for you as a writer? So several things happened. Um, my first book was actually published in the middle of the pandemic. Um, so a lot of my struggles were around the whole marketing part. Um, I, I, all live events obviously are canceled, right? So the things you normally do as an author when your book comes out don't really happen. Yeah. Um, and then virtual events, while seemingly the obvious answer to everything, I didn't know all the avenues that were possible at first. And, you know, you're calling up libraries and bookstores. Well, the libraries I'm talking to are just like, we don't even like, we're not even doing that. That's just like too much. Like we're like trying to figure out how to like get people books. <laughs> and then the bookstores I was talking to were like, hey, you know, normally I'd super love to have you in. But it turns out that since it's COVID, we've like banded with these other indie bookstores and we're getting like these amazing bestsellers who we never get to come do an event for us. And they're going to be doing all our original events. So, yeah, probably no, <laughs> not going to happen. Um, I did have one local bookstore that did a curbside book signing for me. And that was kind of fun. Um, so anyway, it's just kind of weird not having like the face-to-face -face avenues to get your book out there. And even the bookstores that carried my book were sort of stuck with, okay, well, no one's coming in and just browsing, right? Like they're calling me and telling me what book they want. So unknown author isn't getting phone calls from random person five states away saying, hey, I want this book, even though that person may have, if they'd been in the bookstore, been like, oh, that's cute. What's this about? Oh, that sounds good. I'll buy it. So it's just a weird, weird way to release a book. Um, having said that, there were millions of opportunities that were created that didn't even exist before COVID. I have met amazing people in the last year that I don't know if I would have met if I wasn't online all the time. 
Um, uh, with a few other authors and I started a Facebook group and um, it's called Bookish Road Trip. And we've had, we have 2,300 members and, you know, it, it's had its first birthday last week and it's, they're like super awesome, cool people. So I hope to meet in real life one day. Um, and it's just kind of taken off. And um, so there's been some real joys and some unexpected delights, but then the things that you thought were going to be, it was going to be weren't. I guess. Um, from a writing point of view, I was busy for a large part of that marketing and not really thinking I was going to write anyway. Um, but once all that settled down and I was ready to write, eh, it's hard to focus. It's hard when I have my kids at home and my husband's working from home yep. and we're all in this house and there's lots of things going on outside of our house that are kind of scary and anxiety and all that stuff. I mean, I'm writing, but it's not going fast. No. And, you know, I've met some authors that were like, this was the best. And I got, you know, I talked to an author last night. She's like, yeah, I wrote five books this year. I'm like, who the fuck are you? Like, <laughs> who does that? But she did. And then, you know, there are those people that it's, it's been hard as much as we're like, cool, we're in the house and we, you know, we don't have all these extra things pulling us away to do stuff does not equal I'm going to be successful at writing. Like it, it unfortunately did not have a direct correlation for most of us that that was the case. Yeah. You know, like and, me, it was, we couldn't do the trips for the research trips and go oh, I bet. we needed to go. And so that pushed uh, the book that was supposed to be out last year to next year. So, um, but you know, and again, you know, we were exactly what you said, writing. It's just, I'm here all the time, but there's a heck of a lot more distractions and, you know, it's harder to find the time to, to, to do the, the words. Yeah. yeah. And the focus, I feel like. Yeah. And maybe even the amount of time I'm spending online is messing with my focus too. Yeah. You know, like it's supposed to do things to your brain to be constantly looking at things on, on the computer. I don't know, but, but that's an excuse I'll take. <laughs> no, I it, On the list of excuses, we're going to add it <laughs> yeah. right there with you. Yeah. So what is your ideal writing environment? Like, what is your, like, if you had the perfect, everything was in tune wonderfully, describe it. What would it I be? I think it would be a balance between being somewhere like my house, but like empty. <laughs> <laughs> or I do like going places where there's like background hubbub, like a coffee shop or a library. And sometimes it just depends on my mood. Um, you know, I'll be writing at home. I'm like, this isn't working. And I would get in the car, go to the library and I'd write there or I'd go to the coffee shop or like, sometimes that doesn't work and I go home, you know, whatever. But it's nice to be able to like change location. Um, and I think that's maybe part of it too. Like that I don't want to write in the same place that I'm doing zoom calls. Like I want, like, this is my writing place. This is what I do here. <laughs> and I don't do those other things here. That, as a way of separating, but there really isn't a place in my house when everyone is here to do that, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. I, um, I, I, and there's nowhere to go. Yeah. No, that's it, exactly. So whatever rhythm you have, there's no rhythm anymore. Yeah. There's no, yeah. Yeah. But I'm planning, I'm thinking I'm going to try one of those co-working spaces. Mm. 
I'm going to go look at some this week and I'm thinking that might be the answer. I'm not sure, but I kind of like the, because I kind of miss like the, like I'm having a cup of coffee and I'm talking to this random person about stupid stuff. Like I kind of miss those like things you have at work (laughs) that I don't have. And I kind of miss being somewhere that isn't my house. No, I think that's, you know, I, I do HR and I can tell you, I think that people in general are more productive at home. You get more done because you aren't interrupted and everything, but you miss the coffee cooler talk and meetings can be more difficult. Like I shouldn't say meetings because I still think meetings regardless of there's 20 people in a room or 20 people in a Zoom, they're as non-productive as humanly possible. (laughs) But I'm just a firm believer in that. But I do believe that five-minute conversations, being able to walk up and ask a coworker a question and get an answer without having to set up an invite and look at their schedule and find something that works and potentially have an email before it to explain why you wanted to go, hey, so I was wondering if we ever got in blah. Like, that's much easier if you can walk up and talk to somebody. Yes. Then the thing, and sometimes you go, I'm not asking the freaking question because it's way too much work to get the answer. And I don't care enough about it to do that work. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Like you, you give up on your given course. Cause you're like, this is just dumb at this point in time. <laughs> yeah. but I think it'll be interesting. I'd love to hear what happens when you do the co-working space. And if that is something that works for you. So yeah. what um, are you working on next then? What is your next plan? So I'm working on a YA dystopian novel set in the future um, where we have created mm, two main worlds, but then, you know, people who aren't really part of them. Um, One is a virtual, like people who just live in like this virtual space and the other are like crazy religious people and a guy and a girl from each of the cultures meet and fall in love. And they have to deal with the fact that their cultures are not congruent. I like it. I like it. So back to young adult roots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What kind of stuff do you like to read? I read like everything. And so some, you know, when you ask like what I like to write and I think, God, like I've, I've just described five books to you that are like totally different from each other. And so, and I, that's how I read too. Um, and so maybe in a sense, like I haven't found like, my niche like but at the same time I think what I write about is whatever's bubbling in my world outside of the page so um Bupanib's road trip Eve is dealing with depression I had just dealt with postpartum depression and so part of that was my dealing with my own issues and and kind of reflecting on them and processing them after they were over Um, Right now, you know, I live in like the whole virtual world. What would that be like if the future was all virtual? Well, not everyone would embrace that. Okay. So why wouldn't they, you know, and like, and, and there's some conspiracy theories going on. It's sort of my way of sort of dealing with all of the hubbub that's around us right now. And like, processing that in like a dystopian world which maybe we live in but but take it further take it further (laughs) um and you know I love I loved reading Hunger Games I loved reading Divergent I mean like there's all these you know I this is like a genre that I have enjoyed um but I had never written anything in it um so I mean each of the books like had something you know the terrorism thing was 
you know, post 9-11, post some stuff, the stuff from stuff in London. And I was, that was my way of like, what goes through the mind of a terrorist? Why are they doing the things that they're doing? Can they, can they change? What does this say about humanity? You know, like, so I, all of them is just like, if you know me when I'm writing it, <laughs> like you're not surprised I'm writing that book. But at the same time, when you take them as separate things, they're all kind of different. No, I, I, I think it's great, but there is actually a little bit of a commonality between the books because they're, they're, they're dealing with, um, you know, more real life issues and stuff. I mean, yeah. in no sense, but you look at Nicholas Sparks, he doesn't write series books. He writes really hard romance books that make you cry. You know what I mean? Like The Notebook. Like, yeah, I cried. <laughs> Did you cry at The Notebook, Mark? Um, I, I cried at the cover. <laughs> uh, but uh, I just, I love his covers because it's, it's couples almost kissing. Every cover is huh? a couple almost kissing. And so that's, if you look at his stuff, it's every one. But okay. no, no, I actually, the notebook, I did not cry at it, but I did read it. So okay. I did enjoy it. I, I, I enjoyed cry. it. I read it and I cried. Where are your emotions, Mark? Just kidding. <laughs> no, they're not written no. for the marks of the world. Jane Eyre but... burned it out of me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I cry all the time though. That's, I'm a crier. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> I cry whenever the dads die. That's, or the daughters okay. die. That's, right. that's my thing now. Cause I'm a dad with two daughters. So that's, that's what makes me cry. Got it. Do you, um, so did you, you were, you to answer the, what you're working on right now mm -hmm. and you thought about doing self-publishing, mm -hmm. we're going to talk after the show, but, um, how much do you get done when you start writing? What do you mean? Like how many words in a good day when you're having a great oh, day, a good day. I want to know a good day, like a, a, a thousand like, words. I am so slow. Oh, wow. That's yeah. not slow. That is slow. That's not slow. Look at Patrick Rothfuss and George R. R. Martin. That's not slow. <laughs> <laughs> the great bearded glaciers, they get less than a thousand words a day on, on most days. So you're fine. Yeah. I, well, you know, I think up until, I mean, up until now, I have had jobs and a family and it's been a juggle, you know, like I've got an hour and a half today to write. Um, when I signed this contract, I quit working, but it was largely to spend time figuring out how to market because I'd never done that before. I was a teacher that doesn't really prepare you to be a marketer. Um, so, and then I was marketing the book. And so like now would be the time when I'm slowing down the marketing game and I have, you know, picking up time to write, but you know, it's summer and I've got two children home and my husband's working from home and you know, it's, We'll see. Maybe if we talk again in a month, I'm going to tell you something totally different. But up until now, and the pieces of, I have an hour and a half, I got a thousand words. I feel great about that. Well, well I think if you write a thousand words in an hour and a half, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking awesome, right? Yeah. Yeah, if you're like, for eight hours, I wrote a thousand words, I'd be like, girl. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna go some writing techniques, maybe to speed you up just a bit. <laughs> yeah, that'd be bit. good. Flashcard drills. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, that's the other thing. Like, I don't even know if I have a stamina to write for eight hours because I've really not had that kind of window. I mean, occasionally I would go on like a writing retreat, and I could do it there, but that's a little bit different, right? Like, you're somewhere far away. Your whole purpose is that I could do it. 
But on a daily basis, could I show up at this co-working space and sit there and write for eight hours? I don't know. Well, I hope you don't sign a really long lease then. <laughs> we tested this theory because, no, I don't think, I don't know a lot of authors that actually write like every day consistently for eight hours a day. No. I yeah. think most full-time authors have a, a, per, a like a window, like they're either a morning author mm-hmm. or an afternoon author. Some are evening authors, even yeah. though they're full-time authors, or they go, you know, three days a week, I'm going to go, you know, balls to the walls on writing. And then the rest of the time I'm going to do research or social media. You have to, regardless of what kind of author you are, you're going to have to parse out your day for the business side of doing mm-hmm. it. But to the point of what you said earlier, you have to figure out that balance so you're not all the way down that rabbit hole either. Right. You can you can Facebook and Instagram all fucking day long. Like that's what you can. Oh, you can. And you can justify it. (laughs) Until your daughter says, Let me show you your screen time, mom. Oh god. (laughs) And you're like, I was not on Angry Birds for four hours today. I play Diner Dash, not Angry Birds. <laughs> oh, oh, forgive, forgive me. So you talked a little bit about researching um, for this book. How much research do you do for your books? Um, I mean, I think I do a decent amount. I early on when I started writing, I think I was spending more time researching than I should because I was going down rabbit holes that were ended up being irrelevant. Um, and so what I've done now is I try to write a draft with little to no research. And then I know exactly what research I need. And then I go do that research before I do the next draft. Um, so, I mean, while I'm writing, like, if I just want to know the name of a building that I know is going to be in this you know, I'll go look that up, like uh, that kind of stuff. But I try not to spend a long time really going deep on something. No, I understand. I think a lot of researchers, I'm not going to mention names, some of them are on here, um, can go very, <laughs> I'm not pointing at you, but I am, Mark. I know, um, that's fine. But uh, can go so far down a path for something. I was uh, talking to a fellow author friend of mine and she was, I was like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm doing research. And I'm finally, I kept hounding her because we were on a call and we were writing, but I I could tell she wasn't writing. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you can tell when somebody's not actually writing in there. And I'm like, what in the hell are you researching? And it was a scarf that somebody had on. And she went down an entire rabbit hole of what kind of scarves were in the certain time period. And what were they made out of and the material and all this. So she's telling me all this stuff, right? Literally, I listened to her for a good 10 minutes go off about this stupid scarf. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, is it like so important is a key part of the book is like this scarf, the basis of the moral conundrum mm-hmm. of the characters. And she's like, no, it's really only for one scene. And I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. It wasn't, you didn't need to know any of this. I said, is, was any of these people, the scarf maker or any of them fashion designer? Like what was the relevance? She's like, well, I just wanted to make sure I was being accurate for what purpose to say it was a red scarf. Nobody see, cares. But see, and then mine are nonfiction 
technically. So if I get one little thing wrong, suddenly I'm getting knocked down four stars from the latest Goodreads review because I missed one date at this one obscure event at this one obscure town, you know, and I'm telling a folklore version that I heard from three other guys and I'm just repeating it, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, there, you know, so yeah. I, you know, it researches depending on what you're writing. So understand. Yeah, I think it does. I think that's right. I've always wanted to write historical fiction and I'm scared. They will rip and you apart if you do it wrong, but that's the beauty of alternative historical fiction is where you can say, oh, you know, it's, it's different. You know? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, maybe that's what I need to do. It's like, yeah, fake it. <laughs> yeah. Then you're good. Then they'll praise you for what you do get right. Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about people who have read your book and reviews. Do you read reviews? Yeah, I do. Mostly oh. that's been a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like when you got your first review? Oh, it was good. My first review was good. That was exciting. Um, my let's talk about your first bad review. Um, that was not good. Uh, that was that was that was hurtful. <laughs> Um, and in part because it was like a review from like a big blogger. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just like, you know, one little paragraph on Amazon or Goodreads, but like, you know, on a blog that went to thousands of people and it was very, um, cutting and personal. Um, so, you know, not only was it my first bad review, but it was, it, it, it wasn't just like, I thought the book was boring. It was it, it was, it was meaner. Um, having said that, like, you know, that was a low moment. And now, like, if I get a little bad review or something, it's like, nothing's been close to that bad. <laughs> it's been fine. <laughs> well, and I hope you took away from that bad moment. One of the biggest things I think authors uh, are, that is dangerous about reviews for authors is you want it to feed this energy in you. You want to have acknowledgement we don't get a lot of acknowledgement that's the cool thing about in-person events and conventions and stuff yeah. like that and me and mark have done uh, mark has done way more than me but we've done a lot and you get that immediate interaction and that person just thrilled to meet you and they're so excited that you're signing a book to them and they're getting to meet the author and you know Mark has much um, larger cult following at this point than me, but I'm going to start competing here shortly. And um, so you get that instant feed from it. I'm never going to win against him. I just no, say that. I'm, just, I'm big with the tinfoil hat crowd. That's what I got. So. Yeah. Well, so they're creepy them. and they're never going anywhere, Mark. So no, it's no, they, they love me and I, I can do no wrong with them, which is scary. So my yeah. favorite is when the, the kids come and they've got the book all bookmarked from all the places they've traveled and the parents are standing behind them going, so where are we going next? We got to get the next book. And, and, they're like, and I'm like, oh, do you guys enjoy the books? They're like, we're not allowed to read them. We just, she tells us where we're going and all that. And that's, you know, makes my heart grow three times when I see that, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, those first reviews are, you know, brutal. You're every one of them you take to heart and you're just like, Ugh. but yeah, no, you definitely have sounds like you're on the right path with that. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. And then really most of the reviews have been, have been kind and, and effusive and, and nice. And it's just sort of like, why do I need like 10 nice reviews to make up for like the one path? <laughs> you know? yeah. well, and here's the thing is that reviews are for readers to yeah. read them. And also it's whether or not they take what that person says to heart. I always talk about this because, um, and this is one thing I haven't mentioned, but 
um, if you go all the way back to when the Princess Bride movie was released, okay, we, we um, the Princess Bride, amazing movie, Absolutely. fantastic cast, has stood up like it had its thirty year anniversary recently, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's been around. They marketed that movie so badly, so horribly, the way they marketed that movie. They even talk about they just didn't know what to do with it, so they didn't market the movie well, right? It got panned by critics all the time and this thing has stayed around and is like a staple for generation after generation after generation like when my kids were younger i showed them the princess bride like i'm gonna be a grandmother i can't believe i'm saying that out loud but this year trust me my granddaughter is going to watch the princess bride that is going to be a thing and based on the reviews if you read the reviews back then you wouldn't have ever gone to see this movie if you believed what the reviewers were saying same mm-hmm. with the book yeah, yeah the so book was book, nobody so understood much it. like the movie it was weird like yeah. i don't know like more than any other book movie combo i felt like like nailed it <laughs> exactly so when when it sounds like it was a horrible experience but i think one thing authors really vitally need to do is listen to your actual fans that reach out to you or become on your Facebook fan pages and stuff like that, that are genuinely invested in your book with the things that they loved about your book. And they can say the things they didn't love, but it's more on what was your vision of the book? Did they not like something because of whatever but were they invested in the book if it's just somebody who's like this thing was fucking terrible whatever they want to say this wasn't a book for them it obviously wasn't it's not that you're a bad writer right that book was not for them now if they were like this writer switches tenses all the time uses the word that four thousand times in their manuscript like then you could go okay maybe maybe i need to have some work like change the character's name four times that's that's a review where maybe you need to pay attention and go back and look at your manuscript. Like if it's yeah. that terrible, but if they didn't like it, don't listen to them. They're not your yeah. crowd. Move on. Yeah, that's what your publisher's right. editor is for. You know, uh, you know, honestly, they they'll give you your harshest first review. Should be your publisher's editor. So mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. Okay, well, we're coming to the end of the hour. God, that went by really quickly. What advice would you give authors out there, Mary? I think the biggest tip I would have is just um, reaching out to the writing community. Um, You will not find a more supportive group of people. And I think whatever stage you're in, that community and people who are in that stage and beyond that stage can be advocates for you, support for you, shoulder to cry on, cheerleader for you. Um, and can help you learn and grow and all those good things. Um, and, you know, just to really pay attention to their journeys and supporting and doing those things for them too, I guess, even way early in the journey. I like it. Okay. The name of your book is? Boop and Eve's Road Trip. And how do people find you? Do not give me your home address. <laughs> don't worry um i have, I have to say that i had an author do that yes. really early on in the yes, podcast yeah i want to talk about editing i had to do some editing at that point <laughs> um i have a webpage maryhelensheriff.com sheriff is spelled the same way the policeman spells it with one r and two f's and um 
that, and I have a newsletter there. So signing up for my newsletter is a terrific way to keep in touch with what's going on in my writing world. And I also have a blog there with book recommendations and literary care package ideas and author interviews and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Um, and then I have a Facebook group with some other authors. That's Club Bookish Road Trip. If you like to travel and you like to read, it's an awesome place to be. And Very I'll leave you at that. Awesome. Mary, you've been amazing. Thank you for being on the podcast with us. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I have been, um, er oh my gosh, here, here's my friend today. Don't laugh at me, Mark. Whatever. Oh. I'm laughing with you. <laughs> this has been Drinking with Authors, the podcast, as you can tell from my utter obliteration of the finale there. I've been your host, Eric Lance. My co-host today has been Mark Muncy from Erie, Florida. And our guest today has been Mary Sheriff, and we will see you next time. <laughs>